As today's technology blows away the sands of time, we are digging deeper into the secrets of these mysteries. Welcome to the PowerShell Podcast, the podcast for PowerShell and the PowerShell community. Far more powerful than all the others. And now, here's your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. Hey everybody, welcome back to the PowerShell Podcast. I'm your well of mediocrity, Jordan, with uh, super mega star Andrew Plaw. Today we have special guest Chrissy Lemaire, which if every time we've talked about SQL and PowerShell, the name Chrissy Lemaire pops up. Everyone wants to meet and, and talk to Chrissy about SQL. And hey, the same experience with you and the PowerShell podcast. Congratulations on a whole super long time of doing the PowerShell podcast. My Spotify wrapped. You both were the second most listened to podcast. And the only reason that you weren't the first was because the Wall Street Journal had more minutes. Um, that makes sense. Well, this time we're going to have a couple of extra months over 2023, since we're still nice. going to do this weekly. We're, we're, coming, we're coming for it. We're, we're going to take number one on your, on your uh, list there. Perfect. Can't wait. There's nothing better to start off a new year with one of the most anticipated guests in the PowerShell podcast's history. But but to start off a new year with our potentially uh, the best pickle we've ever had on the podcast. If Thank you're you. joining us on YouTube, uh, Chrissy is a pickle. I am a pickle. I'm often a pickle. This is my conference pickle that I put on. I like it. Snapchat so there, camera, I think, right? Yeah. There is yeah, a common that. theme. I've commented on this. Whenever we're talking to anyone, especially about uh, DBA tools, it's always someone's like, yeah, you know, I was looking into SQL and PowerShell and it was kind of neat and having an okay time. And then I met Chrissy and my entire life got awesome. <laughs> you know, I think that it's, it's because I love PowerShell and, uh, and I think, and I, I think that whenever I talk to other people, um, I actually did practice a way to just like, wow, like those combo kill commands. You always bust out with those first and you get them super hooked. And then like later on, you could slow it down a little bit. But that is intentional. And I'm glad that that happens because PowerShell to me is the most exciting thing. I know that I'm known also as a SQL person, but like SQL, it's I like it because it's a mix of administration and development. But PowerShell is exactly what I've wanted my entire life. And I love whenever other people get it, that moment that they're like, oh, and I just, I live for that um, because that's the moment that, that I myself want whenever I'm working in IT. Can you take us back to, you know, you say that you love PowerShell and it's clearly had a huge impact and played a big role in your career, but where in your career did it meet you? Like, were you more of a junior and then you found PowerShell and you've been rocketing up since? Like, what, what's the kind of foundations of your career leading into PowerShell? So I started working in IT at around 96. And I got, so you do the calculation. Um, yeah, it's been like, it's like 20, it's a, it's a lot of years. Um, and whenever I got on, uh, online in general i was on irc and there was a whole bunch of like really cool free things and there was this um this thing called the egg drop bot that was a bot that was similar to the bots that we see in discord and uh and that was uh using a programming language called tickle or tcl 
And whenever I first started working with the egg drop bots, I got really excited about them. And then I sort of went into um, like T-SQL and BB script. And then I actually got into PowerShell in 2005. I was uh, working in Los Angeles and there was something called the Professional Developers Conference from Microsoft. I think it's currently called Build. Um, but back then it was called the PDC. And I was looking through the itinerary and I saw this thing that was, uh, you know, it was a new shell from Microsoft, which I was really excited about because I did have a Linux background and Microsoft always got dissed. And I really, I loved Microsoft products because basically they were well-funded, right? Like any place that you would work at, if they used Microsoft products, products, if they use SQL Server, then it was probably, you were probably going to get paid decently well. Um, and so I loved Windows. I, I lived in the Linux world and, um, and I was so excited to see a shell that it, it said like all of this stuff, like, oop, uh, like, you know, the object oriented programming and all of this. And I didn't really get it, but I knew that one day I would, and I would love it. And, um, and I went to the the session i believe that jeffrey snover was presenting like i tried to do some historical research on it and i think that i concluded it was him but when i went out to the lab lee holmes was there and um actually we got along so well he's so nice and we both love bass in our car we both have some 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 twelves. It's ridiculous. I think he has more twelves than I do. Um, but yeah, he came over to my house and I fed him gumbo. And then he invited me to his house and he took me to Vancouver and we had poutine. And that was like, that was it. So it was, it's it's a long time ago, back in two thousand five. At the at that point, I was a senior DBA. Um, but I wasn't any sort of developer. Like I was a scripter um, and I was just bare. I was bare. No, you know what? Actually, I take that back. I was a PHP developer and a classic ASP developer. And I'd been doing that, been paid to do that. Actually doing it put me through school, which is awesome. So I'm, I'm going to weigh in on the food here. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm going to give it to Lee Holmes just because poutine Best. That is, th there's like 12 ways to get bad poutine in Utah. I haven't had good poutine <laughs> in a long time. It changed my life. I actually, whenever I graduated from school, my wife was like, oh, what do we do to celebrate? And I was like, let's drive 10 hours to that place in France. Eat some poutine. It was five hours there. We ate poutine. We had a nice blanche beer. And then we drove all the way back. That's like, I'm a huge, huge dedicated poutine fan i had I had a, a restaurant i went to all the time specifically for the poutine they dropped it from the menu and i haven't been back no. They're dead to me you know you could ask them they might do it for you i've had there was a, a company that the pizza company that sold like etouffee uh, pizza and i went there and they didn't have it anymore and i was like oh my god i love your etouffee pizza and they're like oh we'll make it for you so you could try maybe they'll have some poutine for you I have, to, I have to give it a try. I'll, so I'll I love the food, <laughs> but I can't believe. So you knew Lee Holmes before PowerShell was released. You kind of ran into him and had this interaction with him, if I'm understanding the timeline correctly. 
Yeah, well, so PowerShell was released to web in like 2006, and we were hanging out in 2005. It was called Monad at the time. And I was actually, a, he's so nice. He allowed me to be a technical editor on uh, the PowerShell cookbook, the first version, um, the first like six chapters, which was cool because I didn't understand Power. Oh, it took me so long to get PowerShell. And so I was kind of the perfect audience. Well, I was kind of, I, I was a pretty good audience person for the first like, you know, six chapters. So I edited those and I got my name in a book and I would like, oh my God, I was like telling my family, go to Barnes and Nobles, pick up this book, open it up and look in the beginning. And my name is there. It was like, it was, it was, it was a milestone. That's huge. Like yes. uh, we oftentimes talk to people and like kind of writing a book is a huge experience for them. And it sounds like you had this experience and we're pushing your career forward and taking risks um, in the original days of PowerShell. Well, no, I was really a technical cool. editor. Um, well, and so I wasn't writing it, but I was, um, sure. yeah, I was technically editing it, which was like, yeah, it. I was, I put that on my resume. Like the second that he asked me, I went and I updated my resume. Yeah. How was that? I imagine you'd be fearful at first. I wasn't fearful because Lee is so kind. Um, you know, I, I'm sure whenever he first offered it, I can imagine being like, oh, I, I mean, I can maybe technically edit a sequel book, but I, I, I don't know if I'll be useful. And he's like, you're the perfect person. You know, in, in the beginning chapters, you can let me know how it goes on. And, and it was advanced, um, but I had such a good time doing it. I remember I was, um, I lived in North Beach, California, uh, sorry, North Beach, San Francisco. And I would go to this little Italian place and I would have some red wine and some espresso. And I would just sit there for hours and like edit this book. And so it, I just remember it being a, an, ex, an awesome experience. So not, not to bring this back to food, but I can tell already we're, we're, we're best friends because all of your memories are based on this was happening and this is what I had. It's true. And it's true. I love that. That's how I vacation. I, exactly. That's how we vacation too. I love finding like little, whenever we first moved here around Frankfurt, there's, we love like getting local things. Um, and the local thing here is, and I'm going to just butcher the name, but it's called Spundakas, which is like, um, uh, whipped cream cheese, you know, the Philly whipped cream cheese, like it's almost like that, but it's, it's way, way better. Um, which is way better than the previous regional cuisine that I used to have in Southern Belgium. Uh, their specialty in Mons was, uh, tuna wrapped in canned peaches. I don't think I'm on board for that one. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> It's, it was as terrible as I as it as you can imagine. I was like, well, there must be like some sort of combo that whenever you put it together, it's just delicious. And it just was not at all. And so, but I still love the experience of it. Like I'll eat some kidneys and gag, but it makes me laugh. Like I I love enjoying some good food and some terrible food. As long as it's like prepared deliciously. Fair. I think 
the other takeaway I have from this is back in 2006, you told Lee Holmes, no, you did that wrong. Let me show you how to power show. <laughs> oh, no, I probably said <laughs> I probably have this wrong. I didn't understand this. And when I ran it, it was all red is more along the lines of. Yeah, it was. I was I think I was I was a quite shy technical editor. I mean, I didn't I didn't have any authority to say anything like that. So That's I'll not just how it played out up here. Yeah. <laughs> up, up here, you put him in his place. <laughs> Lee sounds like such a gem of a person. Um, so awesome. I had one experience. Well, I've had a couple times running into him, but one time in particular at PowerShell Summit where I had like my little thing I was taking notes on, my little book, and I walked mm -hmm. away and left it there. And I came back later and saw he put like some shortened URL for a free copy of the PowerShell cookbook, uh -huh. I believe it was. And it's like Lee was here. I, I couldn't uh -huh. figure out what characters they were, so it didn't work. But the intention was just lovely. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> that dude knows everything. Like he knows calligraphy. Um, whenever the I actually had went to his house the last time that I was in Seattle um, and um, I was like, oh, hey, what are you doing? And he was like, I'm printing out parts with my laser printer to fix my laser printer. And I was like, of course you are. I think he invented the part with like CAD. And he's just like one of the most advancedly genius people that I've ever met. And so super nice too. Yeah. He knows like memory systems, learning systems. He's very, very cool resource. Um, very. And I, shout out to that book, the PowerShell cookbook. Very Heck cool yeah. resource. I love it. That Chapters one, one through six, I hear, are like <laughs> spot on. Best. It's, the, it's the cleanest, best code I've ever read. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. I'm responsible for that. All right. So I assume you just stopped with books right there. You have, you have no other books out since that one. Um, no, actually, from there, I was like, ooh, I dipped my toe in this pool. So then I started doing technical edits for Pact. Um, and then whenever we started, whenever I started DBA tools, uh, um, we were on Trello and there were just like so many of us. And at the time I was obsessed with those Manning books, the MVP deep dives. And I was, and like, it, cause that was definitely like one of my biggest resources as I'm, I'm working on DBA tools and literally learning PowerShell. Um, because, you know, like with a module that big, um, and that, well, if that in depth, there was so much learning to do and, um, we had this Trello board and I was like, oh my God, why don't we all write a book together? Like, we'll each take, we'll each take a chapter, sort of like the, the PowerShell conference book. Um, and, but then like over time, like everybody was so busy and, and it, it never really, even though we put all the chapters together, it never really solidified in my mind. And, but people kept asking like, do we have a DBA tools book? Do we have a DBA tools book? And I was like, oh, it's coming. And then somebody said, can I please have DBA tools in a month of lunches on Twitter? And I wish I could find that tweet because I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly, this is the format. And so I, I took, um, I did, I went to the, the Manning's website. I love Manning, the PowerShell um, in, in action. Oh my God. In the, it's the one by Bruce Payette and Richard Sidaway. That was like one of my favorite books in the world. Um, it's a huge book. It's like great for like a Sunday morning when you want to relax, like read about the why and not just like the how. Um, so it was, they're one of my favorite publishers. And so I went to their website 
And I downloaded the little talk, you know, the little table of contents thing, like the proposal. And I put it all together that day and I submitted it. And uh, then I didn't hear anything. So I hit him up on Twitter. Like I went, <laughs> I went in their DMs and I was like, hello, how long does it take to get a response back? And they're like, oh, you should have gotten one. And then I did uh, soon thereafter. And, and actually they said, um, this isn't usually the kind of book that we publish, but because you are the creator of DBA tools, we want to work this out. So they kind of gave me some tips on how to rewrite it. I rewrote the proposal and the day that I graduated, which was also, yes, around the same time that I went get some poutine, I got a letter from Manning and a book deal and it was magical. And that was like, that was the most ridiculous day of my life to both graduate with my master's degree and get a book deal on the same day. I was like, this is the pinnacle. And still there hasn't been a day that's topped it. Wow. So it sounds almost like you've kind of gone full circle to that Lee Holmes PowerShell cookbook experience. (laughs) And then I also have a cookbook. So then, you know, yeah, if you go, if you go to Amazon, you type in real Cajun recipes, there's like four cookbooks. So yes, it all comes together. And Lee Holmes is, is the reason. I'm actually upset. I didn't know about the cookbooks, all of my research and I missed, I guess I was specifically focusing on, PowerShell and SQL for my research, but uh, I will be definitely looking at those cookbooks. Yeah, they, I did it with my best friend and it was actually very, very hard to do an electronic cookbook. Um, all of the tools are really archaic and I'm glad that I'm not the one in charge of like the arty part because that's his job. Um, you know, he, he does all the research into how to put it together. Um, but yeah, it was really hard, but I really loved it. I actually have some clips from the people in my hometown that have a super thick accent, like way thicker than mine. And they're like, hey, I love some gumbo tea. And like, it just makes me laugh. It's like, it's super cool. So if you get the electronic version, which is available on Kindle Unlimited, you can hear them talk. It's in the, the Thanksgiving uh, edition. And then we have like a Christmas edition and a Mardi Gras edition. And then the, the classic from like 2004. I love it. So if you're listening to this, you're not a DBA. You're not in a sequel at all. We got cookbooks <laughs> for you. Get, exactly. You got to eat, right? Right. Good. Eat some boudin. That's the best. So if you, if you don't mind me asking, who played the role of, of Christian Lemaire for DBA Tools in a bunch of months? Who went through and did the technical edit for your, your part in that book? Shepard, Mike Shepard did the technical edits. Um, and uh, the person that I interacted most with was, uh, her name is Frances, and she was the development editor. And I didn't realize, like, whenever you get a Manning book, they're so damn good. And now I understand why. And it's because we had, like, six or seven editors um, that that did different things. And we also, um, we had people, we had reviewers, and I think that there were about 45 reviewers, like with each part of, uh, which each, with each third of the book, it would go out to like 15 people. Um, but yeah, it was, it was so cool working with, with Francis. Like, even though she's not technical, she would like call me up and she's like, hey, um, 
So you mentioned that uh, DBA Tools works on Linux. Why would somebody want it on Linux? And I was like, oh, and I thought it was like a genuine question, right? So I started explaining it to her and she was like, put that in your book. And so she just kept asking, why, 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 why? And, you know, that's the difference between a book and uh, PowerShell help. PowerShell help will show you how to do it. It's, it's a manual, right? But whenever you're writing a book, you actually explain why someone would want to run PowerShell on Linux or DBA tools on Linux and why they'd want to do things. And so I learned so much about writing from that process. And honestly, and I told them this, if they wouldn't have paid me to write that book, I would have paid them for the experience because it just made me an overall better writer. That is really cool. And I think mm -hmm. that what you're describing there with the feedback you got from the editor highlights how important it is to have people with different backgrounds and perspectives. And totally. also how if you're a person who's not the technical expert, you can still provide value by asking curious questions that can lead to new discoveries and all kinds of good stuff. That's absolutely. Cool. Yeah, that's it. I really did like that because whenever they sent out the questionnaires to the, you know, to the 15 people each time, um, they did have varied backgrounds. They weren't just PowerShell people. They weren't just advanced people. They weren't SQL people. It was that varied background. And so they asked questions that I know other people would ask as they're reading the book, you know, that don't have the exact background that we were going for. It's a really, really great point. I love that stuff, to be honest. <laughs> it's so cool. Anytime you start moving into uh, the intricacies of human interaction, Andrew gets all excited. You I can love that. <laughs> it's, uh, see, he needs to find a way to uh, combine his passions. Like you took SQL and PowerShell and you made something beautiful with it. Right now he's got, uh, he's got his love of, human interaction in PowerShell. I don't, I'm not sure how you combine that though. I, I think we're doing it, man. I know. Just, I was about to say, I think it's community work. Totally. Yeah. This is it. It's a perfect. Lot of, a lot of what I think of, and we don't have to get too deep into this, but like with anyone, anywhere on a team, you're a leader in your own right by like what you do and other people see it. So <clears throat> like one way that we can all make an impact is just conduct ourselves in a way that we'd like to see replicated. And you don't have to intentionally teach people things. But if you're like a good person being authentic, a lot of times people might try being kind and listening more and seeing things that are successful for someone else. Absolutely. So. I love that. And also I've noticed setting boundaries. If you um, set boundaries, it allows, and you know, it, I, I started practicing this at work um, and what shocked me was that my bosses, I was kind of scared to do it. Who's not right. You have to kind of, you have to tell somebody no, or you have to, you know, put down some restriction. And I thought that my bosses would get really mad. And instead they had a lot of respect for me. And then that allowed other people to, to see that interaction and then, you know, stand up for their own, um, boundaries and things like that. I do love, I love the human interaction part too, and the leadership. Yeah. And by doing that communication, you create a safer environment for everyone yes. who works there where they're more willing to take risks and more willing to Absolutely. contribute in a, in a better way. So it's, it's good for the bottom line as well. It's not just totally. good for us as individuals. I like oh, you, stuff. man. That's cool. That was uh, one of the main points of his talk last year at Summit was soft skills will make you more money. Nice. He didn't, he didn't focus on the, yeah. No, he didn't focus on it because it's not about. He claims it's not about money for him. But uh, if I offered him money, he wouldn't turn it down. Hey, it's also but, about money for show. 
Yeah, but uh, just the to to truly be successful requires soft skills, which is unfortunate for me. <laughs> no, we all got stuff to work on, man. It's it's a good opportunity. Okay, wow, we just covered a lot, and I've loved it so far. I ha- so you mentioned you're vaguely French. We got some gumbo. Do you mind telling us where you're kind of from? I mean, I think some of us can kind of guess. I mean, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, I was from Southwest Louisiana, and uh, I actually, whenever I was 18, I moved to California. And first of all, everybody thinks that New Orleans is like the only city in all of louisiana which drove me crazy because it was like three hours east it wasn't even close to where i was and um yeah i was in uh, I, I was in california and somebody said oh, i don't even like cajun food and that's i was like like record scratch and i was like have you even had it in louisiana and he's like no i had it in san diego and i was like well i guess are you gonna like I hate flavor. And I mean, well, no, but then I went to all the Cajun places that, that were super fake and I could totally see why he would think that, but that's like why I started that cookbook um, and where the website in general, because, you know, I did sequel and I did ASP. So I, I combined those. Um, and then I started visiting up in Canada, like, you know, uh, Prince Edward Island, all of those places. Cause that's where the Cajuns are from. So if you don't know, Cajuns were expelled by the British in like 1755 from Canada um, on the coast, like Halifax and things like that. Um, And they all came down to Louisiana. uh, And then, you know, we started using the same food and resources and stuff like that. And so, yeah, it was really cool. I was very proud. I was a proud Cajun, went up to Canada. I'm like, hi, I'm, you know, former Acadia. Acadia, yeah, so it's Acadia, and and you you can see over the course of time how it could be like, oh my God, my French teacher in high school used to do this. <laughs> I don't know if I could do it because I always thought she was super cheesy. Okay, let's see, Acadia, Akaji, Cajun, but you know there's like more in the middle. But you see how it got there from Acadia to Cajun. You don't, you're not getting it, Andrew. Do you get it? No, okay. So I'm I, honestly I writing a deep question. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. I, I, I wouldn't, oh, no. I'm so sorry. Called you out. No, I, I wouldn't do this because it would be unprofessional. I definitely wouldn't be looking up your recipes while we're talking. But uh, <laughs> for for your beignets, the first uh, ingredient is shortening. That's some real Southern cooking like, to see that, that in the recipe. We have, I mean, if you do a search for Lord, there's going to be some Lord there. That's all the stuff that we grew up with. We do have a healthy section. Like whenever I moved to California, I, I tried to like kind of, you know, mix the two together and I have some like vegetarian recipes and people weren't very happy about that. But I was like, you taste my rice dressing and you tell me that's not delicious. And then they would. And they was like, they're like, man, that's delicious. And I was like, exactly. And so, yeah, vaguely French. You know, what's cool is that I moved to, uh, to Belgium and I moved to the southern part, which is called Wallonia, which they speak French. And it was it was amazing. And they have like the cutest little accents whenever they speak like English. So the French speaking English is my the well, the Belgian, the Belgian speaking um, English is like my favorite accent in the world. And that's also the place, by the way, that they invented fries or frites. But they speak French. So the Americans thought that they were French. So they called them French fries. But they're really Belgian fries. Gosh, I'm getting hungry. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's why I, I need to build a PowerShell module that will cook food for me. They just import recipe. You know, and, uh, I saw GitHub Action that that brewed some dude some coffee, and so it's right on the horizon. It's around the corner. You could do it. So we, we attempted to do that uh, here at PDQ with the API for one of the oh, coffee right. makers. So we bought a new one, and they had upped their security between models. No. So we couldn't do it. So I I, I had written the code. And it worked, but I never got to see it live oh. because the, we could no longer buy the old model because apparently it had a, which just cracks me up, the coffee maker has a security. <laughs> <laughs> security. But yeah, so it was, uh, it's an idea that never quite made it, but uh, I love the idea. Heartbreaking. <laughs> so close. Chrissy, thinking back to your career, you know, it sounds to me, if it were me in your shoes, like there were those couple moments that you mentioned related to like the books um, that you are involved with. It sounds like those would have been like kind of pivotal moments where you are having to reach a next level or kind of pushing your boundaries maybe slightly. And uh, whether that be through, it sounds like with the uh, month of lunches book kind of uh, you drove that initiative. Whereas with the um, cookbook with Lee Holmes, he provided a little bit of support to help you do that initially. Uh, I think that you are a great example of how awesome and important it is to support people, even if it's just a, hey, you can do it. You're like, oh, hey, you can actually do it because so many people have that natural first response of like, oh, wait, no, this is outside of my wheelhouse. Oh, I can't do this now. I haven't done this before. Um, and now you're at the point where it seems like DBA Tools is this thriving community with so many people kind of getting so much value in their career, careers and personal life and human interactions. And there's people giving talks and developing new things and collaborating. Um, how has DBA Tools turned into a community in the way it has? Like, I'm, I'm sure it's intentional uh, to a certain degree, but it's, I, I imagine there's some part of just humans kind of doing their thing that you got to observe. I've I've actually always been a community builder ever since I was younger. I remember in high school, um, that was something that was important to me. I always wanted people to feel included. Um, whenever I was a kid, my dad was actually a narcotics officer. And because, you know, you're like, oh, cool, my parents, I would get these, these drug books, right? And like read about drugs and educate myself. It was the 80s. There was like this whole just say no thing. And I remember one of the parents of, of one of my close friends, she said, you can't hang out with her anymore. She's weird. And she... You know, she reads these drug books and it it hurt my feelings so deeply and it made me feel like such an outsider for just being myself. And I always thought that, you know, if I had any sort of influence, um, that I would be as inclusive as possible and set that tone. And, uh, you know, and I just I really love humans and I love friends. Um, I love being excited with people who have the same interests. And, uh, and you know, with, with, with PowerShell and SQL Server, DBA tools, I, I learned a lot from that. I, I had some hypotheses based on some of the previous community building that I'd done. Um, I used to have this message board. Um, uh, Y'all probably, yeah, you're probably not familiar. So there, there's this folk singer. Her name is Ani DeFranco. Um, and she was like super popular and 
a community like it was a fan site but then it, it also became a community and then i got to work for her and i was like oh my god thank you sql server because they were using sql server and um and you know i got to like meet this rock star go backstage it was really cool uh, but i learned a lot from that community and then whenever i moved to louisiana um i i had this uh this lgbt community that i built and whenever DBA tools came around, I think that it was the perfect time, right? Like people knew that Microsoft docs were getting onto GitHub and they're becoming open source and Microsoft started pushing a lot of open source. And we all were there at the perfect time to say, we know how to do this kind of barely. <laughs> we're doing our best um, and we can help you we can help onboard you as well. And um, yeah, so we just had a whole bunch of very motivated, very excited people. And I, and there was, we didn't have, um, uh, the, the module called SQL Server from what well, used to be called SQL PS from Microsoft, just, it wasn't, it wasn't really hitting the mark. So there was that market, you know, for a SQL Server module. Um, and, and I think that all the tools were there, but GitHub was absolutely pivotal in, in the whole um, success of DBA tools. And around that time, you know, Slack came out and like corporate networks were allowing Slack traffic through. So we all had a place to chat. Um, so it was all of the tools and all of the perfect reasons were there back in 2016, 2017 to join. And, you know, we all learned together. I mean, before DBA tools, I actually hadn't made a module. Everything was a script because I had that Linux background. And so I only came from, oh, it's a script. Why would I put it in a module to like load it twice? That makes no sense to me. And people are like, put this in a module. So I was like, fine. So it was like conference-driven development. I took all of these like, you know, 10 scripts and I put them into a module and we kind of went that way. Um, but yeah, it was perfect timing, all the technology. Uh, Microsoft was a huge part of that. They, they let us use their management objects, you know, and, and repackage them and redistribute them. And so, yeah, all came together. So cool to see. It almost feels like, it, it plays a similar role in people's lives that PowerShell does. Like they kind of get it. They're able to be super efficient. It kind of clicks with them. It's an entry point into PowerShell for some yes. and further automation and kind of yes. a, a nice groundwork for, for going forward. Totally. That was the intention was to make insanely tedious tasks so fun. I mean, to make a migration fun because you're sitting there and if you've done it before, you're like, oh, God, this is hard. But then like you type in just a single command and you watch all of it happen and all you're watching is you not having to do work. <laughs> and it's like it's the best feeling ever. Just sitting back, executing that one thing. You're like, oh man, the possibilities are endless. I've been kind of following. Occasionally, I drop a snippet of a friend I'm working with on PowerShell on his journey, and uh, he just said the other day, uh, "I love PowerShell," which I love getting that text. But it turns out he just wanted a simple report of uh, the health of certain things in the environment, and he just sat down and wrote it in PowerShell without looking for help. And he was so excited. I was, so I was good. pumped for. I, I, I'm excited for his journey too. It just it's, it's fun to see someone that's reluctant to pick it up to once they see the value and then just they start automating away all of the frustration. Totally. What module did he use for his uh, reports? 
So he is a he works in a VMware store. So it was the oh, Power CLI. Cool. Yeah. Oh, I really like Power CLI. That's a really really powerful module. It takes forever to load if you just load it, but uh, once you get it, it is uh, it's it is one of my favorite modules. It's uh, it's a really well done done one there. So he's extremely technical, but it took him a long time to pick up PowerShell. Same. I didn't start really using it every day until 2011. So even though I was introduced to it, even though in 2006, you know, I worked with Lee Holmes, um, I didn't really get it until there was a project that I had to do. Um, well, for myself, I didn't like have to, but I was like, oh, this is the perfect kind of project. Um, and, you know, I just kept pushing through until the day that, that I woke up and I was like, oh my God, I know PowerShell, my life has changed. I can definitely relate to that moment of like taking on a project that's outside of your current scope and you just bang away at it. And it's like, oh, wow, it actually clicked now. I've been <laughs> yes. kind of lost in my brain for a while trying to put the pieces together. I know the pieces, they're not clicking and now they are. Wow. Love it. I fun. love it. And you mentioned building a community and, and to me, uh, lifting others up, like Jordan was mentioning, helping his friend and now seeing that that's such an efficient use of time. Uh, even more so when you're building a community that is empowering people simultaneously. It's just, to me, it's a perfect example of force multiplication. And as people who are into automation and stuff like that, like it appeals to us. And it's very cool to see some, to see so many people go from like, uh, oh, let's automate this process, make this migration faster to, hey, let's write good documentation to, hey, let's yes. get involved in the community and change our culture at work. And, you know, all this stuff, it's, it's such a cool, cool thing that we get to experience. It has been really awesome to see people's careers grow um, within the community. Um, like Jess Pomfret had a meteoric rise. It, it was really awesome. You know, she came in and, and I think that DBA Tools was her first experience. And she's like, oh, can I write some tests for this? And I was like, hell yeah, we need somebody who's writing. You know, it was it was around the time of it was 2017. And I had just learned about integration testing at PSConf EU. And I was like, this is what I have wanted my entire life to literally start up a SQL server and execute a bunch of things against that. So Jess jumped in and she did that. Um, and then the next thing I know, I'm at data grilling and she's presenting and she is phenomenal. Now she has like a LinkedIn course on DBA tools and she she's actually a co-author on DBA tools in a month of lunches. Um, like it's just been so wonderful to see so many examples of that throughout the community. So many people presenting for the first time. Cause they're like, wait, I hang out with these people and they're presenting, I bet I can present. And then we're like, Oh, we'll help you write your abstract. You know, you can practice with me. And like me and Claudio used to practice all the time. Me and Rob would work together. And man, it was like, it was so awesome going and presenting all across the world. I didn't really want to do a pre-con because that's really overwhelming and so much work. And he's like, no, it's totally like, this is totally doable. Let's do it together. And so, yeah, it has been, um, it's, it's been a really wonderful experience to, to see that happen and to enable it in other people too. Jess is a great example. She's so awesome. It's she so great seeing people. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually how I learned about you all. Yeah, we were uh, we were excited that she agreed to... I mean, it was... I, th I think our first guest was James because we were talking Summit, so it makes sense to have James with you there. And then it was Mike and then Jess. Like, it was... 
cool. the, uh, out the gate, like Le- Legends of Power Show. I was like, yeah, we'll talk to you. <laughs> I remember whenever I saw it, I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want. And I mean, clearly through all of my Spotify listening. I mean, I it's I actually take pictures and then I never send them. I don't think like I, every morning because it I have the, the, the Spotify car thing. And it, it glows this beautiful blue with y'all faces on it whenever I'm like listening in the morning. And then it's dark over here. And so I take a picture and I always intend to send it and I always forget. But yeah, that was this morning. I listened to Steve Lee. It was so cool. That was a fun episode. Yeah. It's, it is very fun. It's so cool to see um, people going through their journeys in all different kinds of ways. And I've seen another passion project of yours or another kind of cool area you've been getting involved in, and that's Mastodon. Oh, I'm what super is pumped about that. Yeah, it's very cool. So Mastodon, I actually joined it in, in 2017. Is that I heard that there was this, um, I don't know, maybe it was an alternative to Twitter at the time, but I joined and I was like, what is this? Like, this is super confusing. None of my friends are here. So I just kind of signed out. And, um, and then just recently, uh, you know, I haven't enjoyed being on Twitter and I realized after joining Mastodon, just how much I haven't enjoyed it, um, being on, on Twitter, but it's essentially so, so many times I've thought to myself and I've actually tweeted, I want the 2007 internet back, you know, that like decentralized re really exciting, like just BBSs. Um, but there was this like pioneer kind of spirit and, and I really missed that. And, uh, over the course of time, you know, everything just got siloed into, into these singular companies that I just sat there like waiting for features, like for so long, just waiting for a simple edit button that is obvious that that's like available on all of the different platforms. And, um, and then whenever I decided to, to leave, Twitter, there was uh, a lot of people at the time that were doing it. So I got into it and I had to stick around. It was kind of like PowerShell, right? Where you're like, okay, I know that this is awesome, but I just kind of have to put in the work. But it's so funny because I think it took like 10 minutes of work and I was like, oh, they're using the wrong wording, right? And so in my mind, the way that I think about Mastodon, so Mastodon is an implementation and I could be a little bit wrong about some of the words here, but it's an implementation of something called the Fediverse and are like, all of these different services come together. I know Matt Mullenweg, the uh, the creator of WordPress, he's actually putting Tumblr on there and there's something called ActivityPub, but it doesn't really matter. All of this stuff comes together into this federated universe, right? And you have these different servers that you join. And I really wish they would have called them neighborhoods because whenever you join a server, you're not limited and locked down just to the people that are on that same server. Much like IRC, um, you you can actually join, you actually join up to a greater network. So whenever you log into Mastodon, you have this little local tab and that's everybody on your local server. So if you're on like dataplatform.social, it's all of the data platform that'll probably be talking about SQL Server or, you know, Azure or their pets. But then you can go to the, the Fediverse tab and that's all of the people. It's kind of like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? So if you connect 
with somebody on mastodon.social, then it'll bring in all of the content from there. And if they connect to somebody, it, you know, to a person on, I don't know, push.social, then that will be connected. And so everything gets connected in the same way that it does um, in the actual real world. And so I like the little neighborhoods, like my neighborhood is tech.lgbt. So it's a bunch of gay tech people. So whenever I go to my, you know, little local tab. So when I go to my home tab, it's all of the people that I'm following. And finally, there's no algorithm to keep people out. Do you know how many people I followed on Twitter and I never got to see them? You know, so I was like, oh, my God. And and not only that, but like my follow like to, to follow or unfollow people you have to like scroll 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 like they kind of took all of your information and hid it from you and now with mastodon it's easily exportable like you can export all of your follows you could export all of your likes all of your bookmarks everything like that is so very easy it's built into the interface and the api is is really awesome and I actually used it within a GitHub action to do our many GitHub actions to do a lot of fun things. So it's not just um, it's not just a place to chat, but as a PowerSheller who loves APIs, it's also a fun place to be and program. So I'll, I'll be honest, social media in general is not not a thing I'm, I'm big on. And mm -hmm. I, I had questions. I was kind of intrigued until you said API and now. <laughs> I'll probably I'll probably be investigating because I. So I am curious though. Does that run the risk of eventually like having an issue with like uh, segmenting? So if you have like a divide in security, they can't you know they can't agree on which octet's best. I, that doesn't matter. Right. Are they going to Are they going to separate out and be multiple communities where you have to try to reach across to get all the information, or is there something there to make sure that even if people aren't getting along, it's still kind of a cohesive unit? That's my concern. Um, so with the moderation, and this is actually something that I like too, I feel safe on tech.lgbt, right? If I have a complaint and if I have a complaint against harassment and people who don't experience harassment, it's so easy to be like, oh, whatever, just like get over it. But if your administrator is in the same group as you and they're like, oh my God, this again, and then they can just like ban that person. Actually, something just happened recently with Raspberry Pi. They posted a controversial post and I actually didn't care about the primary post but their responses underneath I felt were so toxic right and the vibe you know that little this is fine <laughs> there's the this <laughs> is fine guy you know puppy that's like surrounded by fire and like that's like Twitter but then there's like this little elephant surrounded by green plants and the vibe on Mastodon that's Mastodon like this is fine like Mastodon thing is um, it's just a chill vibe. And, and Raspberry Pi brought in this really aggressive, immature uh, vibe. Like I was, I actually ended up writing to their, um, to their group or, you know, I went to their website and I was like, contact us. And I was like, I'm an IT professional. And like, you might want to check out what's going on because I'm very surprised by this person's behavior. And like, that's in a way I felt kind of helpless, right? Because all I can do is appeal to these people. And I hope that they aren't like, ha ha, like, doesn't she know? Like we endorse this. But what happened was because their behavior was so egregious, they got defederated. 
Which means that a lot of like there's this list and I don't know exactly how it works, but essentially everybody agrees, you know, because they had followed the Raspberry Pi account, they joined the Federation. But there were some servers that said, you know what, this isn't what I want in my pool. And they actually defederated from it. And so, you know, you like you can interact with their their um posts if you go there and you like intentionally go to their server but it's not going to show up in your home tab and you're not going to see all that infighting and all of the arguments and the the vibe on mastodon is so much better like i get exactly what i want because i'm following you know i follow like the infosec.exchange um and i just like follow all of these people i'm actually seeing all of the content that they're bringing but there isn't the vitriol and the toxicity at this point um but to your point jordan i think that if you ever had an issue with somebody you know getting defederated um, that you didn't want, you can actually, they, th- some, um, I've seen some servers rejoin and refederate after there's, you know, uh, a discussion. Um, and like Falstadon had actually gotten defederated from some servers, but then they had noticed and then they put it back, you know, they, they work together, um, and they rejoin back up. So that's Raspberry Pi can be, uh, redeemed if they have a redeeming behavior, but you know, I'm sure that they probably got fed- defederated from my server. You could be on a server that doesn't defed um, because it's, it's really an opt-in thing. Okay. Yeah, and that was a conversation. I don't, I don't want you to think like I'm being overly negative, but I genuinely have questions because I've. Oh no, yet, no. Yet I'm, it. Please it, do because other people are having the same questions as you. It, it, it feels like a, a breeding ground for echo chambers. Kind of, which is which is one of my major concerns. Because if you sit there and every time someone says, "Oh, I don't like this," so you cut them out. Eventually, you're going to have a whole bunch of like-minded people, which is nice for feeling comfortable. But a lot of discussion happens with disagreement. So, um, uh, you know, as as somebody who is part of the LGBT community and whose wife is Jewish, I honestly do. <laughs> I, I personally welcome an echo chamber. If the alternative is what's happening on Twitter, um, then, uh, but, but ultimately I don't see it as that's what's going to happen. I see actually more content and it's more of the content that I want. I see okay. more, more PowerShell. I see more information security, you know, then I, I follow like Matt blaze and I get to see all of his, um, all of his posts, but at the same time, now I can follow I in Coldwater before I had wanted to, um, but the Twitter algorithm would put their posts like just my entire timeline, Jesse Frizzelli as well. Um, I wasn't able to follow because it would just be my entire timeline. And now I guess like I'm seeing exactly what I want. It echoes more, in my opinion, of like the 2007 internet. Uh, that's like this, like free, like, you know, pioneering kind of place. And um, it hasn't become an echo chamber. I, I don't, I actually don't think that that's going to be a problem, um, especially because maybe, you know, maybe it'll be like, maybe my little server is going to be an echo chamber, but you don't have to be on that server. So there's like a lot of freedom there. Um, and, 
further, I just want to highlight if you go to the app store and you look at the Twitter, this is a totally kind of different point, but it, it also goes harkens back to the 2007 internet. If you go to the app store and you look at the Twitter app, it is just like all tracking. They track your purchases. They track this, that, the other. Like it's such a, and we all got used to that, right? Well, that's that's the price that I pay. But if you look at the Mastodon apps, and by the way, the Mastodon team recommends third-party apps because they just put out a basic one because everybody's like, hey, we totally need a, an official Mastodon app. They're like, okay, here you go, but you should probably use other stuff. So, but if you look at all the others, they don't track. And I'm like, ah, oh, this feels so good. You know, there's no ads there. There's no tracking. You can talk about something and you're not going to be offered an ad to like, oh, you know, like, oh, I stink. Oh, here's some deodorant. Like, you know, it's, 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 it's the 2007 internet again. I like how you mentioned neighborhoods earlier, because it does sound kind of like that. Um, like it's just your home group and yeah, you can branch out and connect with other people and see other things and bring it in. But like fundamentally your experience on the platform is driven by yes. your core interests. Exactly. And you have more granularity and control to kind of define that experience. Totally. Yes. So as long as the, it's open up discussion, like if I am extremely passionate about, uh, the, the one true brace style, which I know there's some strong opinion <laughs> on that. If I'm passionate about that, like if we could just have a dis like a, a heated disagreement about that and move on, that's fantastic. But it's only if I am, which I am prone to do, being a whole sign, then, then there's consequences. Yes, correct. Okay. Um, and, you know, and the consequences, like you can actually be removed from a server, you know, and but then if the admin is like, no, I really appreciate a whole behavior, then somebody <laughs> can just be like, well, then I don't want your server, um, you know, up in my server. And so it, it yeah, it, it even gets granular as far as blocking. And by the way, you as a person can block not just users, but but servers as well. Kevin Beaumont accidentally blocked all of infosec.exchange and lost like 50,000 of his followers. Um, so you can, so if you are finding that there's a server where there's a bunch of a-holes coming from it, you could block it from your own account and, um, you know, and have far more control. And the other thing is like filtering. Like I actually, the moment that I got on there, I filtered out politics. I don't want to see it. You know, like I, I want to be on social media for um, primarily, you know, for like tech and cats and stuff like that. And um, yeah, like the, the filtering um, worked super well. And on Twitter, I was literally limited to, oh my God, it was just such a miserable experience. I was limited to 200 phrases, right? But... Um, I, and you might think, God, Chrissy, like you're muting a lot, but you would have to, to, to mute every iteration of something. Right. So it wouldn't just be, um, let me think of a, of a, only a mildly <laughs> offensive term. I don't know. Let's just say you wanted to moderate, moderate poo, right? So it would be poo and then it would be poo apostrophe s poos and then it would also be poos plural. So you had to. So, you know, that's actually just 200 divided by three is is how many filters you're going to get. And on Mastodon, it's actually you could do pound sign politics man, and that's going to get rid of, you know, all like I remember I had to block right, Republicans, Democrats, Pelosi, you know, McCarthy, like all of these different 
words. And now I'm just like pound sign politics. And it's not perfect, but it's like right out the gate way better. Um, and I just love the experience there because people aren't there to fight. They're just there to like talk about PowerShell. And if we want to get on there and find other people who just want to talk about maybe some data stuff, maybe some PowerShell stuff, is there a way to find multiple people at once? Any projects related to that? <laughs> I'm so glad you asked. As a matter of fact, if you go to github.com slash dataplat slash Mastodon, I actually have some CSV files because that's how easy it is. Like they, they just speak our language, right? And there's a CSV file for all of the PowerShell people. So Dave Carroll wrote Bluebird PS. And I, I, and I, I love that guy and this module. I loved it because he wrote a command called find Twitter Mastodon links. So all I do is within my GitHub action, um, it's called Exodus, um, it will like you put in all your API keys and stuff, and it'll go through um, your own account and look through all of your followers and all the people that you follow, and it'll look for this link. Um, you know, because like there's a special format for the Mastodon links, um, and it finds that. But what I did was I extended, like right out the gate, you could go to this thing called the Fetty Finder. Um, and, uh, you know, you just like click, okay. And it will find all of, all of your friends. But what I did, I wanted to find my communities. I wanted to find all of my PowerShell people. I wanted to find all of my SQL server people. And I wrote this, um, and I was able to, you can actually, you know how like we, we all follow, um, like the PowerShell summit and we follow PSConfiU, or we have all of these user groups. So what I did was I told my GitHub action, go and find the followers of these accounts. Go and find who these accounts follow. Go and look at this account itself and see if it has a Mastodon link. If it does, like add it to this list. So, um, so you can go to that GitHub repo on the Dataplat organization, and you could download these CSVs for PowerShell, for SQL Server, and for Power BI. And if you have any other, like if you're super into like Cajun stuff or like poutine, you can follow like hashtag poutine in, in the in Exodus, in the, the GitHub action, and it'll find all of the people talking about poutine and then grab their, um, grab their Mastodon link if they have it in their pin tweet, username, uh, sorry, actual name or bio. Question here, architecturally, what's the benefit of using a GitHub action instead of, I don't know, just running a command and then uploading the CSVs manually? I like it. Um, I, I guess I actually asked, asked that myself, right? I'm like, why am I doing this in, in an action? Um, but to me, it made it accessible as somebody who loves actions and who kind of goes there by default. So because I am creating these lists for other people, where am I going to upload them to? GitHub. So it's all in the same workflow. It's all in the same place, right? Uh, I just call the action and then I save the file to the same repo and then I share it out. Um, so that's good. You could run it locally. As a matter of fact, that's how I was testing it. Um, I would just do dot slash. Oh, like the, like the Linux days dot slash main dot PS one. Um, and then give it, you know, the server name and whatever I was trying to follow. Um, and I would test it locally. So you can run it locally. 
I mean, to get her back, I could have probably, you know, Jess Pomfret actually does something similar with an Azure function. I think, and I, maybe you can clarify this for me, but with the GitHub action, it may be you, you kind of keep the automation as part of the repository rather than like kind of kicking out to a manual console, manually doing things. Uh, if you make it so it happens on PR, maybe you could automatically have it regenerate a new CSV and then exactly some yeah. stuff like that. And I, and I also set mine on a schedule, um, but it, yeah, so every single night, um, my account goes and looks for to see, you know, because people are slowly coming over. And so there might be seven more people this week than there was last week. And every night it'll check to see if there's more of my friends. And I really like it because whenever I see like, oh, like Casey Newman, you know, joined, uh, he left Twitter and he joined Mastodon. And then I go to follow him and I'm already following him because of my little GitHub action. So I just kind of set it and forget it. Nice. So your GitHub action also follows. It does. Uh, wait, hold on. Yes. So that's another one. I made a bunch. So I have Twitter Exodus and then I have um, Mastodon Influx. And Influx is the one that will import a bunch of different things. And then I also have Fossilize, which backs up your entire account. And how cool is that? Like, you, you know, in order to get all of your data from a corporation like Twitter, you have to, like, ask for it, and then they'll generate it, and it's 24 hours later. So right now, it's, like, 14 days. Um, and then, you know, you have to check your email. But, like, with Mastodon, the only limitation that you have is that you can't go above 300 requests every five minutes. So I just have a built-in, do it every second. Um, and, you know, it'll import uh, a whole bunch of stuff. It'll export and fossilize, backs up my entire account to a zip. And then it just saves it to my, to my action. Because, you know, you can have archives uh, or sorry, artifacts with CICD. So I just save my account as an artifact. What? So cool. So what I'm hearing is if I do join this, if you're not following me within... <laughs> a couple of days then my spirit should be crushed exactly exactly that, that's my takeaway <laughs> yeah I've, I've signed up so I'm, I'm curious to share some things i wonder if it'll feel different to post when it feels more like a, a smaller group more like a neighborhood kind of vibe if i'll feel more comfortable sharing things you know, it's really weird. My Mastodon content is slightly different from my Twitter content. Um, it's a bit more personal. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm pretty polished on Twitter. Uh, you know, I'll talk about the things to talk about. And then, but it, I was just, I was a lot more self-censoring there. And over here in, in Mastodon land, I'm like, man, it's like the, it's, you know, I remember whenever I lived in San Francisco, I look back on my Flickr account and I'm like, oh my God, I posted exactly where I live. <laughs> and it was a, it was just a totally different time. And while I'm not posting exactly where I live on Mastodon, it is more it is a bit more me um, over there. So I think that you will. And by the way, um, one thing that does suck, and I think that this is some some places like Infosec.exchange, they actually set up a full text indexer that makes search better. And I know over time with technologists joining Mastodon, this will get better. But right out the gate, the searching kind of sucks and you have to use hashtags. But what makes that great is that people are more eager to use a hashtag and you can follow it. 
So I follow the PowerShell hashtag and it shows up in my, in my home tab, like I'm following a person. And it doesn't matter what server people are on. If they use the PowerShell hashtag, they're going to show up. And then I usually end up just following those people. Because anybody who's talking about PowerShell, I totally, I just want to hang out with it. Well, Chrissy, so my impressions of you is you strike me as a very uh, confident and authentic person. And I'm just curious, where does this confidence come from? Um, and how do you view imposter syndrome? Like throughout your career, have you had to learn how to be confident or has have you always kind of had a good foundation? God, I really love that question. Um, I'll divide it into two parts. The first part is about imposter syndrome. Um, and basically, I, I don't have imposter syndrome because I've worked to accept that nobody can possibly know everything, right? And because I don't expect other people to know everything, it really frees me up to have the same expectations of myself. So I believe that the reason that I don't have imposter syndrome is because I radically accept that I'm going to mess up. Uh, I don't have to know everything. I know specific people like Stuart Moore is amazing with backup and restore. He knows like all the LSNs and all this stuff, you know, like David Klee is amazing with VMware and all, you know, all of those performance internals and things like that. And so like, I kind of see people as having their strengths and my strength is PowerShell plus SQL server and automating it. Um, and so I, I, and I, that is part of, I was really proud. My, my therapist said that I am therapeutically advanced, right? I've been doing therapy for a long time um, and I'm eager to, to learn. Um, I'm eager to, uh, a, a long time ago, like I would just like fault myself for everything. So I came from the position of, oh, I'm wrong, <laughs> which made me approachable, right? Because like, I'm not like, oh, you're the one that's wrong. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. And I totally messed this up. And I remember there was this consultant that I really respected. And he was like, whoa, whoa, this wasn't you. And I was like, wait, it wasn't. But I had like formulated it in my mind to be that way. Um, but ultimately, I think that the reason that I'm confident is because um, I accept that I'm not going to know everything. Um, and through the years, I've, I've done, uh, computers have just, they've been my thing, right? Like I don't do, I, I, I had a lot of self-doubt in the beginning. So I would do things multiple times over and over and over again. And I would be like, oh, there's no way that you came up with that because that solution actually worked. I was really mean to myself like way back in the day, right? Because I was raised with critical parents. And so if, if they're criticizing you, then that becomes, you know, the prevailing sound in your head. Um, and so, you know, I would go out into the world and I'd be like, well, I can't possibly come up with a solution. But with computers, um, I would work on it and I was like, oh my God, this actually worked. And I, and, and then I, you know, because I was doing it over and over and over to prove myself to myself over and over and over, um, I was like, oh, this is, this is working out. Um, and I think from there, when I knew that I had like the technical part, um, it was just working on the me part 
And I won't lie, like, oh my God, having a supportive spouse is one of, it's, it's absolutely life-changing to be in a relationship with someone who cheers you on. Um, I know, so I do a lot of community activity. And um, one of the reasons that I have the time to do it is because my wife is like, hey, um, you have, you know, you have a podcast tonight. Uh, I set you out some tea and, you know, like dinner was like ready. And like she just creates an environment um, that I don't have to do as much stuff. Like I don't have as much responsibility. Uh, but ultimately, whenever I had my book deal, like she was so proud of me. And she tells me that every single day. She's like, you're amazing. And and I, I know that that's like, oh, duh, right? But not every spouse or partner or person is supportive in that way. For instance, my parents weren't, you know, my mom, like whenever I went to, um, I went to Dublin and I won, I won three, I, I won two awards there, right? Um, I was there with all of the people I grew up reading, like Kimberly Tripp. Uh, it was all of my, my sequel server heroes. And um, it was, and I presented there with Rob Sewell and I also did a lightning talk and I won um, the award for lightning talk. And then I won best overall surrounded by all of the people that I grew up reading their books. And when I called my mom to tell her, um, she actually said, oh, you won. Were you the only person presenting there that day? <laughs> That'd be That'd be uh, rough. So supportive spouse is a big one. I'm, I'm a big, the, the thing you said in there that I'd have the hardest time adjusting to was mm -hmm. you expect the same from yourself that you do from others. Mm -hmm. I'm far more forgiving for other people than I am to myself. If I make a mistake, I'll beat myself up forever. I still remember right? stupid things I said to my wife back in high school. When we did, I still sometimes just have absolute embarrassment over things I said in high school. So to expect to change that, I think it'd be the biggest adjustment is how do I expect the same from me that I expect from others? That is it's self-compassion. And, um, and you're, you're actually right. There are a lot of times that that's literally what my therapist says is, Hey, if this was like your little brother, how would you, how would you treat it? And I was like, Oh, oh of course. And, you know, of course he would feel that way. Of course he would be sad. Of course he would be upset. Um, and, and so I think that's what I kind of do is whenever I realize that I'm being too critical, that I, I do say, what if this was somebody else that I cared for? Um, but that's, uh, that's something, that if you want to look it up, it's called self-parenting. Um, and that is a technique to help you with, uh, you know, being supportive of yourself and kind of seeing yourself as a kid that needs some love. Yeah, something that you mentioned, Chrissy, that kind of resonated with me was um, how you approach imposter syndrome and radically accept. And, and that's definitely where my perceived confidence or confidence that I have in myself is. It's that I'm a human. 
humans yes. can do amazing things. Every human with whether you're super intelligent or not, like you can still learn, synthesize new things, contribute. And uh, if any human can do it, I can do it. And other humans can too. It's not just specific to me. Like you mentioned earlier, you know, knowing what you're best at, putting yourself in positions that like lend themselves to your skill, which right. um, after hearing you uh, talking about setting boundaries earlier, it seems like you're definitely advanced in, in being self-aware and emotionally um, intelligent. And yeah, all those things play a, a big role in it all. Agreed. All right. So this is going to be the hardest hitting question probably of the day for you. <laughs> where, where, did potato, where did potato quality come from? Man. It seems so off, off of all your other branding. Okay. Your gift is potato quality. <laughs> all right. So my hacker name is Control B because I'm bold, right? But it was already taken on GitHub and then... I did control B O L D, but then I just looked like control old. It looked like so ridiculous. So I was like, okay, I have to change it. And I literally looked around the room and my cat potato was walking around and I was like, all right, potato. And then, you know, there's the whole potato quality thing that that's on Reddit where, Hey, that picture is so, <laughs> the picture is so blurry. Did you take a picture of the potato? So it just became potato quality. And I was like, ah, I like that potato quality, but I put that T-E-E -E on the end because I'm, you know, vaguely French and T means petite. Um, and uh, yeah, so you just put it together. It's potato quality. And guess what? It frees me up. Like if somebody's like, oh, your code. I'm like, look, I make no promises. My username is literally potato quality. So, you know, just <laughs> built an excuse. I like it. Exactly. Exactly. No expectations and no high expectations for the code that goes into that repo. And of course, you know, Jordan, whenever I made that, I wasn't thinking, oh, one day I'll be a GitHub star presenting at like GitHub Universe. And they're like, and please welcome potato quality. <laughs> like, I'm like, man, why don't you just go with like Clamere or something? But it makes me laugh. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're coming up on the point where we're going to give you, I know I said potato quality was a tough question, but we're going to give you the three most difficult questions you have to ever have to answer. Okay. Uh, I know you're a long-time listener, so you, you probably feel like you're ready for these, but I'm just going to tell you now you're not. You're not. These are, these are life-changing questions. I, I'm, I'm not that good with, you know, spontaneous questioning. So I'll see what I can do. My feet are sweaty. All right. <laughs> uh, what is one time something went wrong while on the job? How did you handle it? And what did you end up learning? Okay. So listen, I, I, I was talking to a friend and I was like, all right, so I'm on this podcast. They'll probably ask this question. And it was, it was my friend that actually worked with me at this place. And I said, I could tell them about whenever I inherited these backups, or I can tell them about big perms and he was like oh my you have got to tell him about big perms so i'll tell you the story of uh of this thing that went wrong so we had this really brilliant guy um that was our storage and vm uh, virtualization administrator but our enclave was growing and we needed a dedicated storage person right so we get this this resume and it is positively incredible. It's one of the best resumes I've ever seen. I was like, oh my God, you have to get on this. Like not just one master's degree, but two. Like all of this like super advanced experience. I couldn't wait to work with this guy and learn from him, right? So 
he gets hired, he rolls up. And that was the week that we all had NetApp training on site, which is super cool, right? So this dude, first week, he goes to NetApp training and we learn about NTFS versus Unix permissions. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's interesting. I bet that we're using NTFS here because you know we're a Windows shop. But this dude says, oh, that's really interesting. I wonder what happens if you change it from NTFS permissions to Unix permissions on prod. <laughs> and, <That's- laughs> and everyone's account got locked out, right? And so (laughs) out of their home directory. And so he got the nickname, not from me, but the network, this network dude, he called him Big Perms after that. So that was like kind of his name, Big Perms, right? So um, so later on, so I'm going to refer to him as Big Perms in the story. So later on, I'm the SQL Server DBA and DR is always really important to me and backups are important, right? So I'm like, listen, and I didn't call them big perms in real life, but I will for the sake of this story. Hey, listen, big perms. I have these really important backups that are on the NetApp. I need you to mirror them to our coop location. And um, and he was like, all right. And <laughs> so I was like, this is really important because it's part of the whole plan. You know, if we lose this, the only the only place that we have our data is in the database itself. And we've already lost some data before. So uh, that's why I'm asking you to do this important task to send it over to our coop site. So he's like, all right, all right, I'll come back. <clears throat> so he comes back and he's like, hey, Chrissy, I snapped. I snapshotted the drive to itself instead of the remote location. And you're going to need to make new backups. And I was like, I'm going to need to make new what? And he was like, dude, just chill. Like, you know, just make some new backups. You could just make new ones. Right. And I was like, that was a 30 day history. Like these were actually important. That's why I wanted them to go. And so I was just like, oh my God. So then (laughs) the third and final time that I worked with big perms, um, my my primary cluster, the, the second most important system in our network besides Active Directory domain controllers is this is this cluster, right? It's a SQL cluster. It's running all of our, our SharePoint servers and it keeps going offline. And this happens randomly for two weeks, which I thought was weird because all the other places that I'd worked at, it's if something's going offline, you're not leaving work until it's resolved, right? But this place was just like, all right, see ya, it's five. And I'm like, I guess I'll go home. I mean, like I did all the digging that I can. I wrote this big, huge report and I was like, I need a network person to tell me what is stealing my IP address. Because I went into the logs and I saw it was duplicate IP, duplicate IP. And, um, and so I kept asking and finally, like, you know, somebody had to step in and say, okay, we have to figure this out all hands on deck two weeks later. And big perms was like, oh, that sounds like a familiar computer. Yeah, Chrissy, I actually cloned that server and I just made it my own. Like I put the NetApp controller system on there and I was like, you cloned one node of the second most important system. Did you change the host name? No, why would I? Did you change the IP address? No. And so we solved the problem 
And I told the dude that he was never allowed to touch any of my systems again. And then our old storage guy became the storage guy again. And what I learned from that whole experience is, man, never trust a resume. It sounds like uh, book learning can only take you so far. Yeah, you gotta- yeah. <laughs> it was it was very interesting because I'd heard about book learning, but I was like, well, I mean, there's book learning plus all of this experience. There's no way this could go wrong. And now, you know, I'm a bit more skeptical. I had no clue that big perms, I was thinking hair. I was like, how is this all going to tie together? But big perms, what a great big name. Perms, I love it. Still laugh about big perms. Well, you can laugh about it now. I doubt it was very funny back then. You know, but it also was like nobody was at risk of getting fired, not even big perms. And so it was, I mean, it provided so much fodder for like jokes and stuff. It was frustrating. But, you know, if we had lost any data, it wasn't going to be on me. And, uh, and, you know. So what I respect about big perms, which I still love saying the name, (laughs) <laughs> is just the 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 blase attitude towards blase. making a exactly. massive mistake. Oh yeah, I did that on a whim. Like yeah, fantastic. Yeah. That's, oh yeah, that's no confidence. problem. It's and you know I would actually respect him if his actions wouldn't be so devastating. Like I want to be that chill, uh, but Big not perms at energy. The- <laughs> <laughs> I I might actually murder for that level of confidence. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was just talking to that storage administrator today and he was like, can you imagine like, dude, just like never, ever like, yeah, just make some more backups. Oh yeah. No big deal. (laughs) I just cloned one of the nodes of this cluster. Whatevs. In 30 days, I'll have another 30 days of history. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, whatever. It's just data and business, right? (laughs) Who cares? It's almost admirable. All right. Well, <laughs> yeah. I also want to move on to the second question because I am a fan of big perms. That's, <laughs> that's a, that's a fascinating story. person. <laughs> All right. With what you know now, uh, what's one tip you would give your younger self when you were first starting out in IT? It would absolutely be um, get regular sleep. Because, you know, whenever you're younger, I know that that's like, you're like, oh, that, that, well, God, that's such an adult answer. But whenever you're younger, I remember thinking, um, you know, I was, I was actually used to smoke and I would like smoke and I would like drink my, my Dr. Pepper and I would just like pull these all nighters, right? Like in the perfect zone time was 10 PM to 3 AM. And whenever I was, Uh, like whenever I got out of college, um, I always like almost waited around for that 10 PM to 3 AM time slot. But by the time that it came around, I was like so depressed that like, I just, I wasn't productive. And my parents were like, Hey, do me a favor, seven days, seven days, just sleep like, um, like some normal hours, you know, with the sunset and the sunrise and like, don't stay up all night. And I was like, all right, fine. And I did it. And ever since then, like, seriously, this is an hour and a half past my bedtime because I'm going to bed at eight. And then I'll wake up at four for a super productive day. And I have just been so much more productive with better hours. And so I'd be like, just sleep. It also is good for like your heart and stuff. Me, that's wisdom. Because it's when you understand the benefit of doing something that everyone knows you should do, 
and you actually <laughs> yeah. do it, you see the benefit, you get to live it. Like I'm just at that point where I'm really trying to prioritize my own sleep and I see the benefit myself. Um, yeah. So I, oh, I appreciate so that good. too. Totally. Yeah, I don't have Excellent. to worry about heart health. The doctor tells me my is enlarged, so I've got extra. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right. You ready for the last question? This one this is probably the most difficult. I, I'm going to take a wild guess on, on your first, but uh, what are your three favorite modules? What are, what are your two favorite after DBA tools? Well, you know, I think that it, uh, I, I would, <sighs> I have the list here and I just don't think that it's fair to list Pester and PS framework because that's like saying PowerShell is my favorite PowerShell, right? That's just like two foundational things. I, I live for Pester. PS framework is in every single one of my um, every single one of my modules. So I just cannot just knock those off the list and tell you some others. Great. All right. So I love Profiler by Jakob, the same dude that did Pester. Um, I use that most recently to um, to speed up the import of DBA tools. It's incredible. It shows you line by line, like which of your lines are taking the longest. The other one is Bench Press by James Brundage. Um, this one is really cool. So the reason it's called Bench Press is because it does do benchmarks, but like you could give it uh, some code and it'll run it like 10,000 times, right? And it does all of these iterations. And if you go to my blog at um, netnerds.net, I have this, I have one of my posts about like PowerShell, um, uh, row, it's Arbar performance, row by agonizing row. Um, and I used bench press for that and it just made it so very simple. Uh, and then the last one I'm going to list is, uh, I mean, it's kind of more of an ecosystem, but PowerShell Universal is absolutely a beautiful, beautiful, just a piece of art um, to work in. It, it, it's it's what, God, I would have just loved something like this when I was younger and, you know, a web developer. Um, and I just recently worked with Chaco's designer, Steph Hayes, to make a whole bunch of themes for it because um, I wanted it to look, I wanted my site to look more like GitHub. So I was like, well, if I can do it with this one theme, then I could do it for all of the themes at Windows Terminal themes.dev. And so, yeah, those are my three bench press profiler and PowerShell universal plus PowerShell plus PS framework and pester. That was fantastic answer. And you didn't even give DBA tools the, uh, the, the, I mean, the is none. it fair? Is it fair? And you by the way, I would say it yeah. is as, it is as bedrock as into PowerShell as PS framework uh, pester at this point. You know what? Thank you. That's a good point. And, uh, and I'll include it the next time you ask. <laughs> hey, that means we'll have to have you back. And sounds hey, like a plan to me. I will be back. This has been very enjoyable. Appreciate you coming. Mm -hmm. Well, you might not realize this, Chrissy, but uh, Big Perm's actually modeled a lot of his <laughs> approach to work to, uh, you know, in honor of Andrew, who just does everything so effort effortlessly. He just wanted that kind of feeling. Uh, he felt the grasp that Andrew doesn't make mistakes, so I, that's where the disconnect. But uh, you know, the we're, we're going to say the basis of of everything Big Perm was is here to tell us about <laughs> the PowerShell shield. 
Take it away, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. I love the comparisons to big firms. <laughs> really appreciate that one. Putting that on my resume. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, please leave us a five-star review on podcast platforms. You can like, comment, subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Um, and leave a comment about how much you love our animated pickle that we have here today. Um, you can email us at PowerShell at PDQ.com or you could follow us at PowerShell Pod. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Chrissy for joining us. And Chrissy, one last time, where can people find you? If they want to keep in, they like what you're saying, they love the vibe, they want to tap into the community, where are they going to find you? You can find me on Mastodon at tech.lgbt slash at sign CL. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thank you. Thanks for listening to the PowerShell Podcast with your hosts, Jordan Hammond and Andrew Plaw. He's a troublemaker. He's a rabble rouser. The PowerShell Podcast is a production of PDQ.com, making device management simple, secure, and pretty damn quick. 